0: Welcome to the Jacksonville First Seventh-day Adventist Church podcast, where we listen, learn, and love together. Our speaker today is Pastor Jonathan Pinato. Father, again, we ask for the blessing of your Spirit to be with us as we consider this passage about the rupture in relationship between men and women and also how the curses of Genesis affected the male person, affected us as men. Be with us, I pray. Give us understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. I do want to say that this will be a, a difficult sermon. Um, I do want to affirm if you're a man and you're here today, I want to thank you for being here at church today. Thank you for doing that because uh, uh, men are actually hardly, men men, are the one, men, men men never come to church. I think that's kind of the word, you know. If you, know, if you look around a church, a church is full of, of women, and we're thankful for the women, but then you ask, well, we're the men, we're the husbands, and, and so if you're here today, I just want to thank you. If you're here today, this sermon isn't for you, How's that sound? This is for the other men who didn't come today. No, I'm just kidding. I, I think there's something that we can, we can all learn. So let's start, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 316, and I will put it on the screen because there are some specific words that I, I want to highlight. Genesis chapter three verse 16 and again know that as I'm preaching this sermon I'm preaching it to myself as well. Genesis chapter 3 verse 16. Let me know once you have it. Genesis chapter 3 verse 16. This is the last half of that verse. We considered the first half last week, but this is that last half. And to the woman he said, "I will make your pains in childbearing very severe." With painful labor, you will give birth to children, and your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And I want to focus on this passage here. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Now, not only is is this going to be a difficult sermon for me to preach, uh, but this passage here this phrase here is also a very difficult phrase. And the reason why it's difficult is because these words desire, let me go back there, is that is because these words desire and rule are not found that often in the scripture. Uh, this phrase even is also found in just one other place in Scripture. And so as you're trying to make sense of what does this mean, you're hard-pressed to find information in other biblical passages because it, it doesn't come up, these words don't come up that often. In fact, they call that a hapax legomenon. That's, that's a fancy word for saying when there is only one occurrence of that word in the entire Bible. That's what that means, okay Now the word de- they're used for desire, Teshuka, is not quite a legomenon, but it's close. This word for desire is only used three times, three times in the Old Testament, only three times. The first time is Genesis 3:16. Uh, the other time is in Genesis chapter four: seven, and we're going to read it here in a little bit. and the other time will be found in the book "The Song of Solomon. So as we're trying to figure out what does it mean desire. We're limited with the amount of, of uses of this word, but let's try to see if we can't make sense of this word, teshuka, desire. In the Septuagint, it is translated apostropheo, and I, I wonder, I didn't do too much research on this, but I wonder if that word apostropheo, does that sound like some, like a familiar word to you? Apostrophe, yeah. I don't know if that's where that comes from or not. I didn't do enough research on it, but that means a turning. So if we were to read this in in the Greek, it would say, and you will turn towards your husband. It doesn't use the word desire. It uses the word turn. And again, we're trying to make sense. What does this mean? Your desire will be for your husband, or you will be turning, or you will turn towards your husband. Let's look at the second second, uh, place where this word is found in the Old Testament, which is Genesis chapter 4-7. It says, this is the story of Cain and Abel. And this is where God is approaching Cain, and he says, sin, and and God describes sin in this passage, it's it's giving sin this characteristic as if sin is is a life entity in this passage, a human entity. And it says, sin to Cain, sin desires, and that's that same Hebrew word, teshukah, sin desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now, do you see some similarities with what we just read? Genesis 3.16, to the woman, your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. In Genesis 4.7, the same exact phrase, sin desires to have you, but you must rule over. In fact, those two words for rule are the same word in the Hebrew, mashal. So this is the other place that the word desire is used in the Old Testament. And finally, the third place where the word desire is used in the Old Testament is in song, Song of Solomon chapter 7 and verse 10 where here uh, the uh, the bride says I belong to my beloved and his Desire, Teshuka, is for me. His desire is for me. This passage here in Song of Solomon, chapter seven, and verse ten parallels another passage in Song of Solomon two sixteen and Song of Solomon six three, where the bride says, My beloved is mine and I am his. And it says that twice in the book Song of Solomon. And this is a similar phrase, uh, the bride speaking, I belong to my beloved and his desire is for me. It's sharing that same concept. I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. I belong to my beloved and his desire is mine. The idea here as the Old Testament uses the word desire is is it, it gives the idea of mutuality, reciprocity. The relationship between men and women between husband and wife, should be reciprocal and equal. That's, what, that's how the word desire is used. I belong to my beloved, and his desire is for me. We first see this principle of mutuality, reciprocity, and equality in Genesis chapter 2. After Eve is created, what does Adam say of her? She is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bones mutuality and equality. In fact, the apostle Paul will, will take that same imagery of flesh and bone in Ephesians chapter 5, and he says, for, for men never, never hurt their own bodies, but rather they take care of their bodies and they nurture their own bodies. And then he says, likewise, your wives, you should treat them like they are your own body based in Genesis chapter 2, because they are flesh of your flesh and bone of your bone, mutuality, reciprocity, and equality. Another aspect of the woman being equal to man and that she should have a mutual relationship with man is the fact that she was created, the Bible says, from the side of man or from the rib of man. And and some theologians have said, uh, Ellen White, is that 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 signifies equality, that the wife or the woman is equal to the man or to the husband. And then they'll make this analogy, woman was not taken from the head of man, As to rule over him, nor was woman created from the feet of man as to be trampled by him, but she was created from the side of man as to stand side to side as man's equal. And again, let's not forget that both men and women are the image of God. Women and who they are in their being show us who God is. That's in Genesis chapter 1. As I mentioned, the apostle Paul, he affirms this teaching in the New Testament, this teaching of mutuality and equality and reciprocity. Notice what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 4. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. And at this point, all the men stop reading and they say, Amen. Amen, right? but it doesn't stop there. Wait a minute, he continues. In the same way, the husband, what? Does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Uh, Again, this principle of mutuality and reciprocity and equality. He reaffirms this again in another passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In verse 11 and 12. And it says, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man. And again, all the men stop reading here, and we say, amen. Wait, but it does not stop there. The apostle Paul continues, nor is man independent of woman. Mutuality, equality, reciprocity. And then he argues this. He says, for as woman came from man. And and, and we'll stop there because some some, some people say, uh, men, the husband is the boss because man was created first. Have you heard that one? Man was created first and so I'm the head, I'm the boss and you say what I do, you do what I say. But then in this beautiful imagery, Paul takes this and says, yes, woman came from man, but then watch out because so also man is born of woman. There is this principle of mutuality, reciprocity, and equality in Scripture. And so, if the scriptural ideal regarding the relationship between men and women and between husband and wife is one of mutuality and reciprocity and equality, what then is the problem with Genesis chapter 3 verse 16? What's the problem with this verse? There's no reciprocity, right? Song of Solomon says, my beloved is mine and his desire is for me. Here the desire is only one way. Only one way. I'm the side of the woman and what does the man give give in exchange? Desire? No. What does he give in exchange? Authority to rule and to dominion. The desire, the turning in Genesis 3.16 is only one-sided while the woman and the wife has desire, the husband in his stead wants to rule. And when the desire and the turning is only one way in a relationship, let me say that again, in relationships, when the desire and the turning is only one way, it's a problem. As a pastor, I see it all the time. I see couples where the husband has no desire to make his wife happy. As a pastor, I see couples where the husband has no desire to please his wife. I see couples where the husband has no desire to do the things that will make the home a home. Women, and and this is, if if you're married or if you're not married, this is something for everyone. Women, if there's no desire on behalf of your partner or on behalf of your boyfriend, To come to church, even though church means a lot to you, watch out. Watch out. Women, if there's no desire, and this I guess is to the unmarried. Women, if there's no desire on his part, on your boyfriend's part or partner's part, if there's no desire on his part to commit to you in marriage, watch out. If there's no desire on behalf of your partner to find a job watch out. If there's no desire on the part of your boyfriend or, or partner to make something of himself, to move on up, watch out. Watch out. If there's no desire to have shared values. Now we have this thing, have you, have you heard that saying, opposites attract? Right? And, that's, and that's true, but there's limits to that. Um, And I think the limit is you're shy and he's not shy, and so you guys attract. And that's about it. That's about the limit of opposites attract. But regarding everything else, you guys should be on the same page. If there's no desire to have shared values, what do I mean by values? If you're not on the same page regarding your finances, if you're not on the same page regarding your family. If you're not on the same page regarding your children or, or spirituality or education or, or your goals or your careers, if you're not on the same page for retirement or you're not on the same page regarding hobbies and, and habits, watch out. And I've seen husbands, I've seen partners, I've seen boyfriends who it doesn't matter what you say, they have their mind made up and that's that. Watch. Watch out. If you're not married and you see no desire in the part of your boyfriend, then he's not worth it. And that's it. He's not worth it. I'm speaking to the unmarried. He's not worth it. He won't change once you do marry. And women, you can do better. Ladies, don't settle for anything less than the best. Air force, aim high. Aim high because, ladies, you deserve it. I don't know if this is saying too much, you know, but I sometimes look at marriages and I'm like, I wonder, you know, she's just such a wonderful woman. How in the world did she end up with that guy? Sorry, sorry, guys, but I'm, I'm just from a pastoral perspective. You know, I say that and I... If you're married and you're still having challenges, however, with mutuality in, in values and in desires then we'll be praying for you because it makes it difficult once you are married. When I do marital counseling with couples, I tell them the first thing I tell them is, yeah, we're going to talk about skills of conflict resolution and, and all these other kinds of things. But the key here to a successful marriage is to have both parties being willing. Both parties having a desire. Both parties having good will. If there is a desire on both to do whatever it takes to put forth whatever effort is required to make the necessary changes if the desire is mutual then there's nothing that can stop that marriage or break it apart but what we see in genesis chapter 316 and I, that's why i call it man's corruption is because the desire is no longer mutual as it should be but the desire is only one way and the husband, in turn, according to this passage, or men, in turn, according to this passage, their desire is not for their spouse, or, or, but it is for dominion and for authority and for ruling. And so we now come to this word here for rule and dominion. In the Hebrew, it is the word mashal, and the word mashal is, is actually used quite regularly throughout the Old Testament. And the word mashal means to rule, To have dominion, it also specifies an area of dominion. It means to have authority and to govern. The first time that we see this word used in the Bible is not Genesis 3.16, but it's Genesis chapter 1 and verse 17 and 18. And it's in relationship to the sun and to the moon. Notice what the biblical passage says. And this gives us an understanding of what the word mashal means. Ruling, the biblical concept of mashal in the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 17 and 18, it says, God set the sun and the moon in the sky to do what? Give light on the earth and to govern. Guess what word that is in the Hebrew? Mashal. To govern, to rule the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And so if we want to understand the biblical concept of ruling and dominion, as used in Genesis 3.16, where it says, and man will rule over his, his wife, this is the basis and the first use of this word to rule. And so here it is. Are you ready? The biblical concept of ruling, based on the function of the sun and the moon, is number one, to give light. Number two, to separate light from darkness. And number three, the sphere of their domain is the day and the night. How can we apply this to the home and to the family and to the role of the husband and to the role of man? Well, here it goes. So in the family, in the home, if it is indeed that the man wants to rule, if it is indeed that the husband wants to have dominion, this is what that looks like according to the Bible. And so in the home, the family becomes the sphere of the husband's domain. How does that sound? Just like the day and the night were the sphere of the dominion of the sun and the moon. So the home becomes the sphere of the man's domain, the husband's domain. And the role of the husband now becomes similar to the role of the son. Is that the role of the husband is to be a light in his family? And in his home. How does that sound? That's what it means to rule in the home. The role of the husband is to be a light in his home and in his family. The husband is the one who, in the home, will separate between the light and the darkness. How does that sound? The husband is the one that is the beacon, the anchor in the home. The biblical concept of dominion is primarily about responsibility in the home. But as men, sometimes we want the privilege of authority without the responsibility of authority. The husband is the one who should be intentional in making his home successful, safe. Uh, The husband should be the one who is uh, providing for the physical, the spiritual, the emotional needs of its members. The husband is the one who should be the house band. That's where that word comes from, husband. The house band. The one who keeps the home together. Listen to me. The one who keeps the home together, not the one who breaks it apart. When I visit with couples, one of the top complaints from women that I hear, from the wife, from the spouse that I hear is, I wish... My husband was the head of the home. <laughs> was that, did I hear that right? I wish my husband was the head of the home. I wish my husband was the leader. I wish my husband would step up. I, I wish my husband would pray with me. I, I wish my husband would take the initiative. Take the initiative in what? Take the initiative in Everything. Because I feel that I'm doing this all by myself. I'm married, but there's no help. All he does is come back from work, sit on the couch. That is, if he has a job, he comes back from work, sits on the couch, watches TV, and then expects me to serve him food. You know, and and, and as a man, and I say, I'm preaching this to myself, this is a hard subject for, for me to, you know, that call to step things up. Because it's so easy for men to be passive. I don't know what that's about. But I don't know, at least for me, it's easy for me to be passive. And the funny thing is that men, as men, we will try to be number one at work. You know, I have to prepare a sermon, and you better guarantee that during the week, I'm spending hours upon hours upon hours on this sermon and on the computer and getting my slides right and making sure that everything is just right. But then when it comes to the home, ah, well, you know, no. no. That'll take care of itself. As men, we will try to be number one at work. We will try to be number one at, with friends. We will try to be number one everywhere, putting effort everywhere. We will try to conquer the world. But then when it comes to our home, there's nothing left to give. We have the saying in Spanish, Candil de la calle y obscuridad de la casa. It means he's a light outside, outside the home. Everywhere he goes, he's a light. But inside the home, it's darkness. You know, and and, and I, the truth is, I don't know what to do about this. You know, we, have a, we, we have men's ministries, and I, I don't know if it's really active here at our church or not, but um, you know, we have men's retreats that we do. We, there's books, there's resources. Um, and, and it's just a call and an appeal that I'm making right now to, to men, is that your wife needs you. Your children need you. Your church needs you. And that's why I said if you're a man and you're here today, I thank you for being here today. Uh, because men are, are nowhere to be found in churches. It says, where are the men? I have a friend who's studying at Andrews and he's from Canada and he was telling me that he knows someone in Canada that is just super successful at winning men over to the gospel. And that his church is just filled with men. And I said, that's that's amazing. How how do you do that? And he's like, well, because he does all these testosterone-filled events, you know, during church, because sometimes church can feel a little, uh, I don't want to say the word effeminate, but a little, not masculine, right? Uh, Even though the Bible, I mean, when you read the Psalms, and the Psalms speaks about the strength of God, and the valor of God, and the the courage of God, and and David, who was a king, and he was a warrior, but he was also a a poet. And and just the other day, I was reading in 2 Samuel how when Absalom rebelled against David, and he was wondering, well, what's the best way to to engage David? And one of his advisors said, give me 12,000 men, and we're going to chase after David. And then another advisor came to Absalom and cautioned them and he said, Remember, your father and his men are great warriors and they are experienced in battle and they are fierce like a bear robbed of her cubs. Oh, and when I read that, that just sent chills down my spine. I mean, what an example of valor and courage and strength in Scripture. And that, my friends, is what I believe God is calling us, the men of His church, to be like. And there's all these passages of strength, even when you look at Jesus. Jesus was a carpenter, and He worked with His hands. And tell me if He wasn't a man when He was was crucified on that cross, and He endured all the suffering that He endured. And so my friend says, yeah, we do all these macho, testosterone-filled things. Because that's an aspect of, of of Christianity that we've forgotten, and and I said, so. What do you do? And he says, Well, all the men will will get together and, and we'll go we'll go hunting or something like that. We'll go camping and 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 we'll go to the the firing range and and, and shoot some guns and 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 rent big trucks and go. I don't know what they do with trucks. Uh, four by. You know, whatever, off-roading or mudding, or I don't know what it is. You know, what's, what's funny is, you know, when you come Sunday mornings, you know, our church next door, uh, Jerry, say if you can testify or not, I don't know if you've been here Sunday morning or not, but that whole last row, that, that row of the parking lot uh, of, of our church next door is filled with like 10 or 15 pickup trucks, you know, with, with these big wheels. And say, you know that church has some men attending. I'm like, how can we get some big pickup tux, trucks here, you know? Maybe I should buy a pickup truck. I don't know. Instead of driving my little Toyota Corolla, you know, I don't. I don't know, something big. But you know, But how do we get the men? How do we get the men to come? So if you're a man, I, I thank you for being here. But, but, but God is calling us. God is calling us to, to stand up, uh, to rule according to the Bible ruling. Not, not ruling as I'm the boss and you do what I say. But ruling in responsibility, being the light in our home. And let me tell you something, that when there's a real man in the house, who doesn't want to follow him? When there's a real man in the house... When there's a good leader, we follow. That's what we're longing for, and that's what we're looking for. And so when I speak about the corruption of of man, this this is what is happening here in the biblical passage. The desire is only one way, and then man misunderstands his dominion and his rule, and instead of ruling according to Scripture, he's ruling in tyranny and by strength of force. And so the verse continues, the curses continue upon man. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 17, Cursed is the ground for your sake. The biblical passage continues. Cursed is the ground for your sake. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. And it will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. And by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, into dust you will return. This is the curse that is placed upon upon man. The passage continues: man is not left without their share of difficulties. In fact, the word that is used here for painful toil is the same word that is used in verse 16 to describe the pain and the suffering of women. That, that emotional aspect, ishabon. Not not, not the physical pain, but that emotional aspect. So that men, in their jobs and in their work, will also find pain. Emotional pain, anxiety, and stress. The difference being that while the pain for women comes from inside, for the man, the pain will come from external sources. Work for men will no longer be characterized with satisfaction and fulfillment but with toil, by the sweat of your brow. The work for men will be, will be now filled with frustration and with futility and ultimately death. Solomon alludes to this passage here in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 11. Let's, let's, let's read it here. Solomon's reflection. Notice what he says. And yet when I surveyed all that my hand had done and what I had toiled to achieve. It's the same word there from Genesis chapter 3. You know, with the sweat of your brow you will eat food, uh, with painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. And so here is Solomon is surveying all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve. And if you're not familiar with what it is that he did, let me tell you a little bit something here Solomon's reflection being the wisest, the smartest man. He says, everything that my hands had done. You know what his hands had done? He says, I will seek out pleasure, he said, because he found that wisdom was folly. And so he says, I will seek out pleasure. And he says, I sought out pleasure and I sought out all forms of pleasure. And then he says, I sought out laughter and I sought out entertainment. And and then not satisfied with that, he said, I sought after wine. And then he says, not satisfied with that, I sought after folly. And not satisfied with that, I undertook projects, building projects. I built gardens and I built mansions and I built reservoirs. and, And then he said, not satisfied with that, I turned to materialism. And I purchased slaves, he says, men and women. I purchased them. I purchased herds. I purchased flocks of silver. I purchased flocks. I purchased silver. I purchased gold. I purchased, or I had musicians play with me all kinds of music. And I had singers and I had dancers. And he finally says, I had women as well. I denied myself nothing that my eyes desired. Oh, wait a minute. There's that word again, desire. I denied myself nothing, he says, of my eyes desired. I refused no pleasure. And after experiencing all of that, he says, when I surveyed it all, and, I, and everything that I had done, and, and everything that I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was to be gained under the sun. What what Solomon is talking about here as a man, could we call it a midlife crisis? You know, he's looking for that fulfillment. He's looking for that fulfillment somewhere else. By the way, I was thinking about that because I'm like, I'm 37 now. Am I close to my midlife crisis? I don't know. When does that start? I don't know. If you you see me pull up in a Corvette, one of these Sabbaths, you know, you'll you'll know what happened, you know. But uh, I don't know if I'm there or not. Solomon is describing depression of man here. He's describing perhaps even suicidal thoughts. And I sometimes wonder how many wealthy people there are in this world that have everything they want. How many men, amazing, talented men. You know, I, I love music, and, and I, I just love musicians, and I love following musicians. And I'm just surprised by how many musicians that are so incredibly talented just commit suicide through a drug overdose or, or, or something like that. And I'm like, you have everything. You make these incredible scores, these incredible music. This, I mean, you're gifted above so many people, but yet you find no fulfillment in your life. It's all meaningless. And you end up taking your own life. It's something that men struggle with quite a bit, but we don't talk about that because we're supposed to be strong. But it's a, very, it's a reality for men. Solomon says, well, here's the conclusion. If you want to find fulfillment, here it is. He says, fear God and keep His commandments for this is the whole duty of man. And that's the same point where Adam and Eve failed. They didn't fear God, nor did they obey his commandments. And that's why now we're living in the situation that we're living in in this world, a world that is filled with hardship and futility, a life that is fleeting and many times meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And so this morning, God is calling us as men. He is calling us to be the light of our household. He is, he is calling us to be the men that he wants us to be. The men our wives are longing us to be. The men, the husbands and the fathers, our children are longing us to be. And let me just say, women, help us. Help us, women, right? Don't scold us. Don't nag us. You know, we already know how deficient we are, right? That doesn't help. Rather, encourage us, affirm us, and pray for us. This podcast is brought to you by the Jacksonville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. Connect with us on www.jaxsda.org or on Facebook and YouTube. We look forward to sharing more inspiring messages with you.